and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. On Thursday, you will see the cross where Jesus dies. You gather to prepare his body on Easter morning at the grave. You participate in the story all week long, and this story shapes who you are in this world. So today, today imagine yourself outside the gates of the holy city. Pilgrims have been coming to this place for centuries for the Passover. The people of that day held on to an ancient hope. They hoped for a Messiah, an anointed one, This one would be sent by God and would come to save God's people from every kind of oppression. Now in those days, in the days of Jesus, self-appointed messiahs were kind of a dime a dozen. So the people who gathered on that particular day carried with them this ancient hope, but, but the truth is they had a little bit of cynicism too. Still, they need someone to save them. The power of the Roman Empire is too strong for them to overcome on their own. They need someone to come and and free them from their oppressors. They long for justice, and they dream of true human freedom. And so today, here, riding up on the road to Jerusalem, comes a man on a donkey. What are you to make of this man, this, this redneck, this rube from the countryside? Stories are being told about him as he rides up, that, that, he, that he is able to perform miracles, that he can touch human bodies and heal them of what ails them. Is this God's anointed? The people along the way, as the man rides on the donkey, shout, Hosanna, which means, God, save us. The question is, when they're shouting it, do they believe it? Do they believe it? Well, which of us hasn't come to church on a Sunday? Not quite sure of whether we believe it or not, but maybe we're willing to go along with the crowds. Hosanna, they shout. Perhaps all of us need a bit of saving from the politics of domination, from the burden of the past, from our own bad choices, from despair or fear, from death. So go ahead this morning, whomever you are and wherever you find yourself, join the cry of the people who shout, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Friends, hear the story of Jesus that begins Holy Week from Mark's Gospel. Will you rise for the reading of the story? When the disciples were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their coats upon its back, and Jesus sat on it. 
And many people gathered and they spread their cloaks on the road and others took leafy branches that they had cut in the fields and they spread them before the colt. Those who went ahead and those who followed Jesus were shouting these words. Will you join me? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest heaven. If you would like to stay and worship with us, you may. You can find a seat in the uh, pews, or if you'd like to go back to extended session, you may do that this morning as well. Thank you for leading us in the parade.
Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The temple is the center of Jewish life. It is a portal between heaven and earth, and the temple is the place where the presence of God dwells most fully. Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple as an infant 40 days after his birth. And here they were met by the elders, Anna and Simeon, who saw clearly who this child was. Every year, Jesus' family made the pilgrimage at Passover to the temple. At age 12, when they did this, and the, they were headed back to Nazareth with the other pilgrims, Mary and Joseph assumed that Jesus was with them somewhere else in the crowd. And when they learned that he was not, they panicked and went back to Jerusalem, and they found Jesus at the temple, deep in conversation with the rabbis. Early on in his ministry, when Jesus goes out into the desert, he is parched and he is hungry, and the accuser meets him there, and he takes Jesus to the top of the temple, and he says to him, jump, jump, the angels will save you. Jesus taught around the temple early in his ministry. It was here at the temple that he confronted a mob who were about to stone a woman, saying to them, let the one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And now, here we are today, after a ruckus and rowdy and dusty parade, after the shouts of Hosanna, Lord, save us, have faded into the night and the people have gone away. There is this moment when Jesus returns alone to the temple. In the quiet, he entered this most sacred place, a place that would have echoed with the faith and hopes and dreams of his ancestors. Jesus took a moment and looked around. This sacred place is hallowed with memories. Memories of Jesus' own life and the life of his family, but also the memories of his ancestors, of their suffering, of their exile, and of their persistent hope in God, who promised to lead them beside still waters and through the valley of the shadow of death. And now today, we gather in this, our sacred space. So take a moment and look around. Consider all things. Here, this place too has been hallowed by the memories of those who have come before us and our own memories as well. Memories of coming up the aisle and grabbing a prayer rug, 
memories of Christmas pageants and youth lock-ins, memories of holding a new baby, memories of baptism and communion, of weddings and vows, memories of funerals for the ones that we have loved and lost. And we have certainly heard and offered many words, words of comfort, words of celebration, words of inspiration and challenge. We have met people here who have become lifelong friends. And we have laughed and wept, and we have ached, and we have cried. It is not too much to say that God has met us here. Jesus comes into the temple and looks at all things. He takes this moment and pauses between all that he has done and what he has left to do. He is suspended for a moment between life and death, between time and eternity. How real was the presence of God for him now? Did he pray that the angels would save him? What was it like for him to be standing alone now in the temple on the brink of everything.
next day, Jesus and the disciples came back into Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold sacrificial doves. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall become a, called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the religious authorities heard it, they looked for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Jesus is furious. He ransacked the market and drove out those who were doing official temple business. Why? For one, the system was rigged, and it drove Jesus crazy. Every pilgrim who came to the temple as part of their sacred obligation had to go to the tables of these merchants to change currency or buy a sacrificial animal. At every transaction, the merchants skimmed off profit. They had turned the temple, the home of God that belonged to all the people, into a playground for profiteers. But it wasn't just the money changers in the temple that made Jesus angry. They were the tip of the iceberg. He had seen it in his hometown of Nazareth and Galilee and all across Judea. There was a vast network of economic exploitation. The land and its produce was exploited for profit. Human labor was exploited for profit. People were taxed to death to pay for war and the excesses of the rich, while the poor starved. If you got into debt, there was no way out. The rich were obscenely rich and owned everything. The poor were obscenely poor and owned nothing. This was not the way God created the world to be. Creation's abundance was given to bless every living thing, but all of it was spoiled by greed. Even here, even in the temple. It made Jesus furious. Sometimes loving God means turning over a few tables.
from the 12th chapter in Mark. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came out and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus sits in the women's courts of the temple where the offering boxes are kept. There he notices a widow emerging from the shadows. He watches her give her last two cents to the treasury. If you have some with you this morning, go ahead and take some money out of your pocket and just have it in your hand. What is this stuff really? What does it do? What does it mean to you? Is it validation for your hard work? Or is it spending money for you to enjoy life? Perhaps today some of that money will go towards a plate of chicken nachos at Melton's for lunch. Or maybe it will go towards some new clothes for your kids. Or long term, maybe it's retirement or mortgage. Is it security for your family? To whom does this money belong? Of course, it's yours, it's in your pocket. But does anyone else have a claim on it? Is there someone else whose needs are greater than your wants? Is this money an opportunity for you to be a blessing? The widow gives to the treasury everything she has. It's all she has to live. It's her whole life. How noble, how virtuous this gift. Or is it? She puts her coins in the temple treasury, and by now you know how Jesus feels about the temple. This woman gives her life to something that doesn't deserve it. She's not virtuous. She's a sucker. Perhaps she is throwing her life away. Why do you think Jesus is pointing us to see this widow and her gift? In just a few days, Jesus too will give, his, will give away his whole life. How will you see that? A generous and noble gift? Or is he throwing his life away, wasting it on people who won't appreciate it and don't deserve it?
we hold this question in our mind about whether the widow's gift is virtuous or foolish, we prepare to receive our morning's offering. This morning, as I said in the announcements, we have a special opportunity to give to a truly worthy cause, the one great hour of sharing, but a portion of this morning's offering will also go to support a partnership that you all have been engaging in for over five years. And to talk about that partnership, I've invited someone who you know, perhaps, Gordon French, who's been deeply involved in this work to share a little bit about where the partnership has been and where it is now. Chris, the Easter season broaches the question of what kind of church are we? Six years ago, the Global Mission Council put together a trip to Haiti. Thirteen of you chose to go. Clearly, we are a mission church. When they came back, they said, we ought to build a school for the kids of the eco-villages. But not just any school. This needs to be the kind of school that meets high standards. So when it's accredited, it can be a self-sufficient school going forward. So we're a high-minded mission church. And we said, you know, this is going to take five years, and we really don't know how we're going to do it. And so you said, well, let's go ahead and do it anyway, which means that this high-minded mission church has a little crazy in it to boot. And so we started. Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Gwinnett joined us, and Emory Pres joined us, a group of Haitian Americans. Unitarians in Boston said they'd pitch in, and our partners in Haiti have proven to be wonderful stewards for the building of the school and operating it. And so this little school that started with 43 kids today is enrolling 267 children who otherwise would not be in school. And so year after year, You've dropped your denarii and your shekels and your two cents worth into the plate, and you have built this school. You've been kind of stubborn about it, actually. You've made sure that today we have this wonderful story to tell. So when the people up in headquarters for the Presbyterian Church needed to come up with a story to tell about one great hour of sharing and what Presbyterians do, this is the story they had to tell. So around the world, Presbyterians today will be watching this video. Look at it. In Isaiah 58, God issues a call and a challenge to become repairers of the breach, to look beyond our own doors and share what we have with those in need. Presbyterians worldwide join in sharing God's love with our neighbors in need around the world by providing relief from natural disasters, food for the hungry, and support for the poor and oppressed through their gifts to one great hour of sharing. Haiti is one such place. In 2010, Haiti was devastated by an earthquake which has taken years to overcome. Few understand this as well as Andral Estes. He lost his home and his career in Port-au-Prince. Thanks to one great hour of sharing, 
he now farms on the central plateau and works with his neighbors to build a new life. Andral lives in an eco-village designed to be completely sustainable. Their Presbyterian church partners worked with the residents to build their community and secure livelihoods for their future. Education for the children became the next priority. With new skills and resources, residents of the eco-village could afford school fees and uniforms. Individual Presbyterian churches helped them build the school. Through one great hour of sharing, Presbyterians across the United States help make new lives possible for those like Andral, those whose lives have been turned upside down at home and abroad. Yes, to help the people. To answer God's call to be repairers of the breach. With your gifts to one great hour of sharing, lives are changed and hope is restored. Thank you for your generosity. For when we all do a little, it adds up to a lot. So how cool is it that the people in Louisville looked all around the world for a story to tell to inspire people to give to One Great Hour Sharing, and they chose our school. Yeah. Now, all the funds for One Great Hour Sharing are allocated in advance to Presbyterian Disaster Assistance and the Hunger Programs and um, Poverty Relief Programs, but our session said, look, if you're going to tell our story, we're going to keep some of those funds to go to the school. And so that's the 25% that this year, from your giving, is going to go to the Eco-Village School. And as we've done year after year, we're sending emissaries this week who are going to brave the hazards of an unstable country to go have Easter service with our friends in Haiti. And so, Bailey Green, who was in the earlier, uh, uh, earlier service, Pat Murphy, Becky and David Evans are going to be leaving this week. And they'll be bringing back stories about the people there, updates on the progress on the school, and especially an examination of how they're figuring out how to be able to sustain their school going forward. So, this is a congregation that is a mission church that dedicates itself to impacting the world with your funds, with what you give, with your time, with your energy, with your creativity. We're the ones that are building that school. And if you'd like to be part of it, when they get back from their trip, they're going to be coming to Flavors of Haiti. On May 19th, lots of you have already committed, and if you're not one of those, if you'd like to join a bunch of crazy people who think we can change the world, I'm going to hang out with them, and I'd like to invite you to come hang out with us, too.
we acknowledge Gordon and all those who have contributed to the Haiti Partnership. Thank you. One article of our faith is that everything that we have is a gift, and those gifts are given to us that we might give them away. We receive the morning's offering by giving. We give generously to support the ministry of this church. A quarter of the non-pledged offering will be given to the Haiti Partnership today. But most of all, I want to remind you that the gifts that you have to give are not just financial. They're the gifts of your love, your time, and your talents. As we receive this incredible gift from our children this morning, be reflecting on how God is inviting you to give yourself away, to give your whole self out of love. prepare for our prayers of the people today, I want to invite you to do two things. The first is to look upon our stage here and to prepare for our last reading, which will be the woman who anoints Jesus, and to find one of these vessels that you can imagine was the shape of the vessel which she used to anoint Jesus. And think about 
how she poured out this very costly ointment, this representation of her love onto Jesus. Can any of you, can all of you see these vessels? Do you need to stand up for a moment to see some vessels? We have some huge ones. We have some little vases and big bowls, a pitcher. A long time ago, a few weeks ago in Lent, I chose this tall one because it seemed one that was easily broken, and I imagined the, the vessel being tall and having lots of ointment and her breaking it at his feet. Or maybe it's something that she could carry in her pocket or just in her palm of her hand. So I want you to imagine her pouring out her love as a sign of God's grace and mercy. And now I also want to ask you to think of people in your life and places in your life, in both your heart and in your relationships and your world, that are in need of God's grace and mercy this week. And I'll give you a moment as we pray to offer those names up. So let us pray, imagining the outpouring of God's grace and mercy. Gracious God, you are the eternal outpouring of grace. You strengthen the tired back of a colt for an arduous journey. You soften the selfishness of travelers and inspire them to give up their only coats for a greater cause. You open our eyes to our delusions when we give to the wrong things or use our offerings in harmful ways. You give hope and purpose to the widow, and you anoint us with extravagant love in the moments we face the fear of dying. We call this grace, O God. We call this love. We call this your mercy. Invite us, O God, into your mercy this week, that we may be present in our vulnerabilities, our illnesses, our frailties, and our debts, and yet still comfort each other on the journey to Jerusalem. May we feel mercy as we offer our labor to others and as we accept their strength to lean on. May we feel mercy as we give up our coats and as we accept a soft place to land. O God, now we offer the names of those vulnerable that are in need of your mercy. Invite us, O God, into your mercy this week, that we may be repentant in our sins and our delusions and our complicit acts. May we feel the mercy of truth as we are called out of our complacency and corruption. May we feel mercy as we speak truth to power. O God, we offer up the truths that we need to face this week. Invite us, O God, into your mercy this week, that we may be gracious in our giving, 
that we may know how much we are loved and called in this life at every age, at any ability, and with any means. May we feel mercy as we give away some or all of what we possess. May we feel mercy as we are given the costly and precious offerings of another. May we feel mercy as we are adored in the heights of our life and in the valleys of our dying. O God, we offer up the ways that we need to be more gracious in giving and receiving, in joy and in fear this week. God, now we come together to pray as the one who embodied your mercy for all of us. Jesus, the Christ, taught us to pray. Our Father and Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So did everyone choose a vessel? Let us now hear the story. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured out the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could, She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Friends, to remember 
this woman and the anointing, we will have a ritual of anointing today. Because today begins our journey with Jesus through Holy Week. And it's tempting to jump from the celebration of hosannas and the waving palms to the alleluias of Easter and the blossoming of lilies. It's tempting to go from parade to resurrection. On Easter Sunday, we will marvel at the power of resurrection. We will say, death did not have the final word. We will say, love conquers death. But I ask us at this moment just to pause and befriend our death, or at least to make peace with her. For death need not be conquered always. Life need not be the victory we all desire. God's love abides in all, in birth, in life, in death, and in resurrection. The resurrection shows us that God's love is more powerful than the forces that killed Jesus. So yes, love is the answer to death, but death too is the natural end of love as we've come to cherish it. It is the end of embodied love, the love expressed mutually by two humans. In marriage, we vow till death do us part. In parenting, we whisper, I love you till the end. In friendship, we companion each other through every age. So this week, Jesus will show us how death is the natural course of love. In life, he gave himself away. He gave himself away in teaching, in feeding, in challenging injustice, in welcoming strangers and inviting the outcasts, in healing and in miracles. His greatest act of love was in accepting his death and exposing the powers of destruction that accused him, rather than betraying God's love for all people and succumbing to cowardice and exchanging the life of a sinner for his own. Instead, he accepts death as a sign of his own love. And all of creation, at some point in its lifetime, is called to this giving themselves away, of consenting that our time has passed and offering our place to others. The strongest oak will fall in the forest and make space for the understory to grow in the open sunlight. And the tallest fallen pine will give over its trunk for the moss and the insects to nest. A grandmother dies knowing that she leaves the world to many generations after her. Even when we depart far earlier than we'd like, our death is an outpouring of all our blessings and dreams into the people who will carry the legacy and continue the work. We are invited this week to walk the path of love with Jesus. This love involves dying. We pour ourselves out like costly ointment onto the vulnerable places in our lives and in this world. On Monday, Thursday, In the homes of our parishes, we will wash the hands and feet of one another and break bread together like the disciples. 
If you would like to know where you're supposed to go, please see me or Mary Neville, or there, is, there are some parishes meeting here in the fellowship hall. But please be a part of this journey. It is an essential step in the path of love. And on Good Friday, we will listen to the story of Jesus' final trial and sing in reverence for his sacrifice. And on Holy Saturday, we will fast and pray and wait in the solitude as we wonder if trauma has the final word. So as we enter with Jesus into the valley of the shadow of death, we know that the path that has been chosen by Jesus and for us is not easy. So we pause today for this anointing. If you choose, we ask you to come forward and receive this anointing. You can come forward and grab a mat if you like, or to kneel on, or just kneel on the hard floor. And a worship leader will come forward and anoint you. If you prefer to receive a blessing, you may cross your hands over your chest. If you need to remain standing, please line up in the center aisle, and Mary Anona will give you an anointing or a blessing. Once you are finished, you may depart in silence, or you may sit in your pew in prayer and meditation. We will have no benediction. We will save that for the end of this holy week. The anointing oil that we offer today is enriched with myrrh. It's the same oil Jesus was given by the Magi at his birth and bathed in before his death. This mark on your head is not the mark of ashes, the ashes of death, but the seal of God's abiding love. So just as Jesus received the anointing of the woman, we invite you to receive this oil on your head as a blessing of God's abiding love in all things and through all things, in our beginnings and our endings and our resurrections, now and to eternity. Let us come forward and receive the anointings.